So Matthew chapter 26 and verses 36 to 46. This is God's word to us. Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. And he took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. And going a little further, he fell on his face to the ground and prayed, my father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. And then he returned to his disciples, and he found them sleeping. Could you men not keep watch with me even for one hour, he asked Peter. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the body is weak. And he went and he prayed a second time and prayed, my father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. And when he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. So he left them and went away one, once more and prayed the third time, saying the same thing. Then he returned to the disciples and said to them, are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour is near, and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. Amen. And God will bless his word to us. Well, we've been thinking these evenings about the Lord's Prayer and especially how we should pray according to the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus prayed, and He prayed so effectively that His disciples asked, them to, asked Him to teach them to pray. I don't know if you've you've ever been in that position where you've asked somebody else to show you something. Maybe it's somebody who, who, who just makes that perfect pavlova or whatever it is, and you say, will you show me how to do that? I just can't, can't get mine to rise above like a rich tea biscuit, you know? Uh, I, I, or, or maybe it's, um, you know, something that happens to me all the time, a dance move. You know, I, I see these dance moves, and I just say, show me how to do that, will you? But, but um, You've maybe seen someone do something or someone who's an expert in something. You've seen that it's effective for them. And you say, teach me to do that, will you? And the disciples came to Jesus and they said, teach us to pray. They saw that Jesus was somebody who knew how to pray and they asked to learn from him. And in response, he gives them the Lord's Prayer. And what we've said, it's a wee while since we've been in this. So what we've said is that the Lord's Prayer is, is a good prayer to recite, as we've done tonight, uh, together especially, but it is primarily a model for prayer. It is, it is there to give us subject headings, subject areas for prayer, and so it directs us to the contents of our prayers. And, and, and here we are, we're almost halfway through the Lord's Prayer, if you can see it, uh, there we are, we're, we're at that uh, one, two, three, fourth line, thy will be done on, in earth as it is in heaven, and uh, <clears throat> we're, we're nearly halfway through it, and yet you'll see that, that all of these concerns at the beginning are all to do with God and His agenda. They're all to do with what He wants, what He is working at. 
And our prayers, we know, are, are typically filled with our concerns. Lord, give me this, sort this out, sort out that particular circumstance. Maybe even our concerns for other people. Lord, help that person. Those are all legitimate things to pray for. We'll get to those in a sense. But the model that Jesus gives us reminds us that there is a way to pray that particularly orients us to remember what is of first importance. And what is of first importance is God and His concerns, God's agenda. Our Father who art in heaven, we're reminded who it is we're praying to. Hallowed be your name. We're reminded what God is like. Your kingdom come. We, we, we rem remember what God is doing. He's establishing His kingdom. And in a sense, what follows after that is absolutely natural. If there is to be a king, how His reign is exercised is as people obey Him, as they do His will. So, in a sense, this is bringing the concerns of the kingdom down to earth, God's will perfectly executed in heaven, as it were, and to be executed then on earth. So, the whole beginning of, of the Lord's Prayer is to orient us towards God, for we know that the, the effects of sin within our lives do something to us that's really negative. It causes us to drop our eyes, at best to look at the world around us, but more normally to look just at ourselves. So, what we come to tonight is referred to as the third petition. There's that introduction, and then first petition, hallowed be your name. Second petition, thy kingdom come. Third petition, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven, on earth as it is in heaven. And I wonder how many times you've said this and yet not really pause to think seriously about what it is we're asking for. I hope that tonight will begin to help us in this a little. Let's first of all think a little about God's will, God's will. Whenever we think about God's will, whenever the Bible talks to us about God's will, it tends to talk to us about two particular areas of God's will. We're going to put them up. His secret will and His revealed will. So, first of all, it speaks of God's will as something that always happens. God is sovereign. He has a sovereign will. Sometimes it's called His secret will or His, his decree. And this is His sovereign plan for everything that He has created. So, Psalm 115, for example, says, God is in the heavens. He does whatever He pleases. You know, our, our, our vision of God, and just even as we refer to one or two of these verses coming up, our, our vision of God is, is far too small. And we want to allow His Word to remind us that He is this great God. Our God is in the heavens. He does whatever He pleases. Psalm 135, 5 and 6, I know that the Lord is great, that our God, our Lord is greater than all gods. The Lord does whatever pleases Him in the heavens and on the earth, in the seas and all their depths. Daniel 4, all the peoples of the earth are regarded as nothing. He does as He pleases with the powers of heaven and the peoples of the earth. No one can hold back His hand or say to Him, what have you done? In other words, God is not accountable to anyone. He does not run His ideas past anybody before he does as He pleases. And in this sense, everything is subject to His will, and everything is the outworking then of His providence. So, we often quote 
the catechism, catechism question 11 on providence. What are God's works of providence? God's works of providence are his most holy, wise, and powerful, preserving and governing all his creatures and all their actions. So, so God is in control. That, that's what we often say. Isn't it great that God is in control? We encourage one another with that. We've been singing about it. God is in control. Now, now we see this in all sorts of places in the Scriptures. One of my, one of my really favorite places to look at this is from uh, Acts chapter 4. Maybe let's turn to that for a moment together. Uh, Acts chapter 4, it's uh, the disciples' prayer, and um, it's on page 1096 if you've got a pew Bible handy. Um, <clears throat> Acts chapter 4, verse uh, 27. So what's happened here is that Peter and John have been arrested. They're then re released, and uh, they go back to uh, the, uh, the other believers, and they, they pray together, and they pray this incredible prayer that has such insight as to how God works. So Acts chapter 4, verse 27. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. So, you, you think about what's being said there. They're saying, first of all, these evil men, Herod, Pontius Pilate, absolutely responsible for their actions, these evil men put Jesus to death. It was their choice. It was, it was their action. And yet, at the same time, it was the will of God. So, so when these evil things happen, they are not outside of God's sovereign will. And yet, at the same time, Herod and, and Pilate are responsible for their actions, culpable for them. They are not puppets. So, as our confession says, God is neither the author of nor the approver of sin. Now, now we will quickly run out of mental ability as we begin to, to wrestle with these things and how they, they come together. But they come together perfectly in the mind of God. And it is our, our comfort that, that God is this God who is in control, that nothing happens outside of His sovereign will. We prayed about that this morning as we were thinking about the, the referendum. Yet, Lord, we thank You that You are still in control. Let, let's say one more thing about God's sovereign or secret will, and that is that it is secret. It is not revealed to us. We cannot know it except to some extent by seeing it worked out in history. One person has said that the way that we, we find out what God's sovereign will is, uh, His secret will, is, is we, we turn in the morning to the newspaper and we see what it is God has done. So Deuteronomy 29 and 29, really helpful verse for us, says this, the secret things belong to the Lord our God. But the things revealed to us and to our children forever, that we may follow all the words of this law. You see what that's saying? There are some things that are God's things that He is not going to tell us. 
partly because we couldn't understand them, partly because they are His, they're not for us. You know, we sometimes say that there are three answers to prayer, yes, no, and wait. And, and I've told you before, there's a, there's a book on my bookshelf that says uh, God's four answers to prayer, yes, no, wait, and mind your own business. And, and you see, there's a, there's a mind your own business section as far as God is concerned. The secret things belong to God. But the things revealed to us and our children, that we may do them. We're going to talk a little about the revealed will of God in a moment. So, so sometimes when the Bible speaks about God, this is what it has in mind when it's talking about His will, His secret sovereign will. There's another sense, however, in which the Bible speaks about God's will, and that is, as Deuteronomy 29, 29 says, the revealed will of God. <clears throat> and this is where God reveals what pleases Him. It's, it's what He says He wants or what He doesn't want. It's what brings Him pleasure or displeasure. And His revealed will is revealed for us in the Bible, especially in the law of God. And of course, we know that it is this supremely that is flouted and ignored and resisted on the earth by fallen sinful people like us. We, we've been struggling, haven't we, to get our heads around the referendum, what, what is going on, what's going to happen here. Let's try and think of that in regard to these sorts of categories. God has revealed, revealed His will about life, that it is sacred, that it is precious, that it should be protected. To do otherwise is to violate the sixth commandment. And so, we are to be those who work for the protection of life through our campaigning, through our voting, through our conversations, changing the culture one conversation at a time. And in a sense, that perfect situation where life is protected and valuable is what we're, would, would come if God's will were to be done on earth as it is in heaven, where it is perfectly executed. But does that mean now that as we look at what's happened in the south of Ireland, that God has lost control? No. Because mysteriously, His secret will was for this result. Why? Well, we cannot say. It may be that, that judgment has, has come upon the land as, as God gives people over to their evil desires as He removes the hand of restraint. It may be something that He says to the church to say, what is it that you have been doing with my truth for all these years? We, we, we really don't know the why. But as we grieve over this Result, and as we work for the things that God loves, we also know that He is working out His eternal purposes for His glory. And one day we will say, wow, there was no better way to do that. Let me put it in a very different example. 
Some of you are doing exams. It is God's revealed will that what we do, we are to work at with all of our heart. And some of you, if you're students, that is your work. You don't, you don't see it as that. You see it as an intrusion into your social life, I know. But it is your work. It is God's revealed will that you do it as unto the Lord with all of your heart. But if you do not get what you want, and if you end up in some situation that's very different from what you had your heart set on, are you into some siding as far as God's will is concerned? No, it's His sovereign will that, that you're there. And so you can trust Him. And there you can give yourself to pursuing His revealed will with all of your heart. You see? So this is both tremendously encouraging and, and, and challenging to get our heads around. Now, whenever we pray in the Lord's Prayer, thy kingdom come, your, thy will be done. It is mainly this second aspect of God's will that is in mind, His revealed will. We're not praying especially that God will manage to work out His sovereign will. We know that He will do that unquestionably. unquestionably. We're praying for the embracing of His revealed will by us and by all people. And so the, the uh, Shorter Catechism sums up this third petition by saying this. In the third petition, which is, Thy will be done as it is in heaven, um, we pray that God, by His grace, would make us able and willing to know, obey, and submit to His will in all things as the angels do in heaven. So that's what we're thinking about whenever we pray, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Well, we're going to look at this with, with three sort of broad titles this evening. We're just scratching the surface of what is a really massive, massive subject. Three titles. First of all, uh, our problem with the will of God. So, so what we're going to say is our problem with the will of God, our champion in the will of God, and our responsibility to the will of God. So our problem with the will of God, first of all. Now, we've said this already. What's our problem with the will of God? Well, that as, as, as sinful human beings, we naturally resist it. We rebel against Him. Peter was looking at this this morning as he was thinking of Christ being our King. We are naturally rebels right from Genesis 3. We repeat that uh, fall, as it were, again and again as we say, my way, not your way. And we go our own way rather than His. And so Paul's great summary, great summary, terrible summary of our position is in Romans chapter 3. <clears throat> this is what he says. As he draws together strands and teachings from all over the Old Testament, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. Listen, just before we read this, many of you will go into a position tomorrow in a school, in a university, in an office, and the prevailing viewpoint of those around you will be, we're all reasonably good, and if our circumstances were better, we would be better, and we just need to improve the environment, and we will excel as people. You've got to push hard, search for the hero inside yourself, follow your heart, and you'll 
you'll make, you'll make advances. That's where you're going tomorrow. Let's see what the Bible says. There is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands, no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have become together worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. Their throats are open graves. Their tongues practice deceit. The poison of vipers is on their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and misery mark their way. And the way of peace they do not know. There is no fear of God before their eyes. So here's a description, you see, of people without Christ who do not do the will of God. And this is our natural confirmed position before God works in our hearts. And this is not just us on a bad day. This is us on every day. In fact, during the Reformation, Martin Luther, as he was awakening to, to what the Bible taught about God and human beings and how we were to get right with God, he wrote a really important book called The Bondage of the Will. You imagine your, your, your own will tied up in chains, as it were. And it spoke of the fact that by himself, Man was incapable of doing the will of God and incapable of bringing himself to God. Now, now we, we've quoted the, the shorter catechism. There is also a longer catechism, another series of questions and answers about the same issues, really just gives fuller answers as it goes uh, through. So the larger catechism says this. What do we pray for in the third petition? It's uh, a long answer. I'll just read the first part of it. Not much chance of you being able to read that. Let me, let me read it to you. In the third petition, which is, Thy will be done on, in earth as it is in heaven, acknowledging that by nature we and all men are not only utterly unable and unwilling to know and to do the will of God, but prone to beget, rebel against His word, to repine and murmur against His providence, and wholly inclined to do the will of the flesh and of the devil. Now, you see, that's just echoing, isn't it? Romans chapter 3. Here's the analysis of what we're like as people before God. And it's exactly what the Bible says. It runs so contrary to the world that we live in. And you know that, that, that people will say about somebody who, who really doesn't bother with God, they'll say, oh, you know, they, they've got a good heart or, or, or they'll be encouraged just to follow their heart and, 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 and they'll turn out okay. And you can see that, that what the Bible is saying, what the catechism sums up the Bible is saying is our hearts are desperately broken. Our, our reaction, you see, our natural bent is, is not to seek God or not to follow what He says, but actually to rebel against His Word. And maybe we find that really hard because we're, we're going to go into to positions tomorrow where there are people who have have no real thought of God, but they're really nice people. They're probably nicer than we are. Certainly nicer than the people that you're sitting beside tonight. That was a joke. You were supposed to laugh at it. <laughs> but there's still people who, as far as God is concerned, are prone to rebel. So, so we, we sometimes illustrated it this way. Different ways of rebelling, aren't there? So suppose an army captain was commanding his unit in, in, in a conflict, maybe the Second World War, for example, and there's a, there's a machine gun nest up ahead. You've seen Saving Private Ryan. There's a machine gun nest up ahead, and, and the captain says to his soldiers, men, it's time for you to advance and to take this machine gun nest where it's going to be difficult and one of the soldiers is just absolutely stressed because of everything that has happened so far. And he, 
he throws down his rifle, he throws off his helmet, and he says, Captain, no way. I've had enough. I'm out of here. And he runs. He's a rebel, isn't he? He's a, a noisy, angry rebel. But suppose another soldier says, Captain, that's a great idea. We want to really take this machine gun nest. I just say the word and, and we'll go. And the captain says the word and, and he doesn't go. He keeps his head down. He doesn't move. You see, he's a rebel. He's a, he's a quiet rebel. Or, or suppose another just quietly ignores the captain altogether, pretends he doesn't hear. He's a rebel too. And you see, we're like that with God, aren't we? We, we are quiet rebels or noisy rebels rebels who protest or rebels who shake our heads. But we're rebels nonetheless. What we say by nature, you see, is my will be done. We want to have our own way rather than God's way. And you see, it is that that takes us to hell to a lost eternity. C.S. Lewis said it this way. He said, there are ultimately only two types of people in the end. There are those who say to God, thy will be done, and there are those to whom God says, thy will be done. In other words, all who are in hell, choose it. So you see, we start off saying, not, my, not your way, but my way. Our problem with the will of God. Now, onto this bleak stage, and it is a bleak stage. The analysis of human nature and human beings is a, is a bleak analysis, but a truthful one. Onto this bleak stage steps the Lord Jesus Christ. And this brings us to our second point, the champion of the will of God. Because straight away, you can see how much we need Him. We cannot do what God wants, and therefore, left to ourselves, we are without hope but Jesus is our hope. He is the only one who has ever completely surrendered himself to God's will. You think of that. At every point, at every decision, thought, word, and deed, he does what God wants. And not begrudgingly, he delights to do God's will. All sorts of places in the Bible tell us about this. Hebrews 10 verse 7 says, therefore, when Christ came into the world, verse 5, this is, Sacrifice, he said, sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you prepared for me with burnt offerings and sin offerings you were not pleased. Then I said, here I am. It is written about me in this scroll. I have come to do your will, O God. There's an insight into the heart of the Lord Jesus Christ. He, he is what Psalm 40 ultimately speaks of. I delight to do your will, O my God. Your law is within my heart. Oh, the psalmist may have known that for an instant at times to some degree, but it was true of Jesus entirely and always. He describes his food as being to do God's will. And of course, for, for Jesus, to do God's will meant suffering and death. So as Isaiah 53 says, though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth, Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And so, faced with this will of God for him, Jesus submits himself to the will of God 
for us in our place to pay our debt and to gain us a record of perfect obedience. And we, we get a glimpse, as we read, as we read earlier in, in Gethsemane, we get a glimpse of how incredible that was for Jesus Christ. Before he is arrested and, and the torture and then the crucifixion begins, he prays, he sees what is ahead. My Father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. And it's repeated for us, and then we're told that he prays a similar way a third time. May your will be done. So while, while Jesus would, would naturally have wanted to avoid the unspeakable suffering involved in bearing the wrath of God for sin, yet he willingly submitted to it. Not my will, but thine be done. If anyone ever had to wrestle with the will of God, it was Jesus, and yet he submits to it. And the reason that we tonight can pray together, your will be done in earth as it is in heaven, is because he prayed, not my will, but thine be done. Philip Reichen says this, whenever we use this petition, we are offering a second-hand prayer. Isn't that lovely? The reason we pray for the Father's will to be done is because Jesus prayed for it to be done. He first offered that prayer when He committed Himself to die for our sins. My friends, you know what I need to do tonight? I need to point out to us, each one, how much we need Him. Sometimes we're on the Christian road a while and we forget this a little. Maybe we're not yet Christians and we haven't quite put all the pieces together. But you see, as you see what Jesus does for us here, I hope you are able to see how much we need this Savior because He went where we need to go, but we cannot go. He obeyed the will of the Father. He, he won salvation. And you see, if you're here tonight and you're not yet a Christian, this is the opportunity, as it were, that is before you here this evening. And it is to have this Jesus presented to God on your behalf. The sacrifice that Jesus pays for your rebellion and the obedience that Jesus wins for you, all written over to your account. And you see, if you're here tonight and you're saying, well, do you know what? I, I really don't think I need that. What you're saying is, I have something better to give than that. Something that, 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 that God will look on and say, well, I'll take that instead. Do you have that? Friend, you do not have that. We need Him. Well, having, having come to Christ, repented of going our own way, submitting to Him as our Lord and King, how do we live? We're nearly done. As we come to the last point, our responsibility to the will of God. <clears throat> that larger catechism question outlines this in some detail. 
This is what it says the second half. We pray that God would, by His Spirit, take away from ourselves and others all blindness, weakness, indisposedness, and perverseness of heart, and by His grace, make us able and willing to know, do, and submit to His will in all things with the like humility, cheerfulness, faithfulness, diligence, zeal, sincerity, and constancy as the angels do in heaven. You see, when we are converted, when we come to Christ, we are, we are given a new heart. He brings us new life. We're, we're new creatures. And as new creatures, we want to and are able to, by God's help, do God's will. And our responsibility, you see, is to do it, to walk in His ways. And the thing is, we know what He wants us to do. Because His will for us is not hidden from us. It is revealed to us. The things revealed belong to us and to our children, that we may walk in them. You see, sometimes we talk, don't we, about, oh, I want to know the Lord's will. What we really want to know is the secret will of God. God says to us, mind your own business. Get on with living the revealed will of God. What I have told you to do, I can tell you tonight, 100% what God wants for your life if you're a Christian, His will for you. Thessalonians. It is God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality. There's guidance. Paul goes on to unpack what that means. Or we know God's will in connection with how we're to live within this skeptical world. Peter, for it is God's will that by doing good, you should silence the talk of foolish men. So, God clearly reveals His will for us as we think about how we're to live and how we're to live in this world. And it's not just the verses that speak about God's will that we need to pay attention to. It's God's Word. God's Word, His revealed Word, is His will for us. So every time He speaks about how He wants us to live, how He wants us to think of Him, how He wants us to be with each other, to pray, to fellowship, to hope, that's God's revealed will. We must embrace it enthusiastically. It's one of the analyses I read this afternoon about referendum in the south of Ireland, that, that what has happened is that to some degree, maybe this is true to some extent, I put it to you though, that, that, that what happened was that so much of Catholic Ireland replaced the authority of the church with another authority. We always live under authority. We look to something to tell us and shape us what is right and wrong. And rather than look to the church they looked to something else. What was it? Not to the Scriptures, but to conscience, to self. And you see that conscience needs to be educated and shaped and, and guided by the Word of God, and yet it's not. And so we find ourselves guided by Facebook and something else. So, so we must not neglect God's revealed will. And the key to all of this, for all of us tonight, is realizing that what God has for us is good. It's good. Romans 12, verse 2, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. Do we believe that? that? That God's will is good for us. His revealed will for you and for me cannot be bettered 
in any circumstance that you face tomorrow, the way that God calls you to live as a believer, trusting in him, repenting of your sin, there is no better way to do that. None. And we must resolve that in our minds. Are we, are we going to say, Lord, I'm going to trust you to tell me what to believe about what is right and what is wrong? I'm going to trust that I can do no better than to love what you love and to hate what you hate. That's going to become increasingly challenging. Are we going to trust him? And even God's, and this is hard, even God's secret will is good for his people because he says in all things he works for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. So do you remember Job? Messenger after messenger comes to Job and brings him news that everything in his life was crumbling. All that he held dear, stripped away. And he says, the Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord in all things for the good of those who love him. For some of us, that's really sore, but it's true. And so we say together, your will be done in earth as it is in heaven. I'm going to pray a little prayer at the end. It's a a Methodist prayer. Some of you maybe were brought up within uh, Methodist circles. You know this Methodist covenant prayer. John Wesley drew it together from writings of an old Puritan called uh, Richard Elaine. This is what he said. Let's pray together. Dear God, I am no longer my own, but yours. Put me to what you will. Rank me with whom you will. Put me to doing. Put me to suffering. Let me be employed for you or laid aside for you, exalted for you, or brought low for you. Let me be full. Let me be empty. Let me have all things. Let me have nothing. I freely and wholeheartedly yield all things to your pleasure and disposal. Your will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Amen.